Dragon the Peg is recorded on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the Oji Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Welcome to Drag in the Peg, a podcast series exploring the lives and careers of local drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Houston, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is one that surprised me. When I first saw him perform, he commanded so much respect from everyone in the room. Drag artist or muggle, old guard or new. I guess I should have known then that he'd been bringing his thoughtful, playful, and always entertaining drag to our city scene for much longer than I'd thought. It was only until about a year and a half ago that he emerged from his drag coma and brought with him a beloved staple show of our city. So without further ado, please help me welcome Hari Vijayjay. Drag king, I guess you would call me. Mayhaps the drag thing? Uh, I wouldn't say thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a drag fluid. <laughs> a drag superstar. Oh, I don't know if I'd go that far. You're a drag fluid. I'm a drag solid. <laughs> or a drag gas. Oh. Drag ether. Drag ether. I like that one a lot. Okay. So, Hari, you're one of our guests whose reputation and notoriety expands outside of the world of drag i feel like community things yes absolutely and also your sick djing career (laughs) career (laughs) (laughs) sure let's call it that so tell us a little bit about yourself out of drag and all this stuff you get up to as 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 renew i uh work in the healthcare system as a medical escort i am an organizer with uh, Carla Taylor uh, for the 2SQT BIPOC library. Um, I try to put as much of myself into other community ventures because I feel like we work with each other well in the city. And so uh, where I'm asked to be, I try to get into. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know. I like Sunshine House and Synonym stuff. You're just like a general name that I feel like people know. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess I've been around. You're a public figure. <laughs> I think I uh, am careful with people, and so maybe my relations tend to be a little bit stronger because people know that. That's very beautiful. Two SQT BIPOC Library. That's up and going. Is that up and going? It's um, it's it's in the development stages for the physical space. So once we get through that, it's just Carla's so busy with projects, and I'm so busy with projects that. Um, we need to actually find a day to just kind of nail it down and, and get the physical space started. We have people who want to do the work, and so it's just actually actually getting that the physical space ready. We even books. We have materials coming in. Amazing. So I feel like the project's gotten a lot of, a lot of attention recently, but for those of, of, of the listeners who don't know what it is, do you mind explaining the library to, to the audience? Yeah, there's um, been a number of years of my life where I haven't feel represented in the things that I've read. Uh, I haven't seen myself reflected in any pages. And so um, the idea to have a library with uh, authors that write stories that you can see yourself reflected. And so primarily we want people 
who have the intersection of being queer or trans and also a person of color. And so like having those authors kind of gain gain momentum and like that having youth exposed and even people my age exposed to the to the voices of others that make you not feel so alone is kind of the idea. I actually have dreamed about reading books about people like me since I watched um, Reading Rainbow as a kid. <laughs> you know, uh, LeVar Burton was one of the only people that ever really read uh, books that were by people of color that I saw regularly mm-hmm. outside of, you know, like months and holidays and stuff like Black History Month or like Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. You'd occasionally get like another narrative, but... Yeah, and I think you've said before in other interviews, like, options for those are often so scattered, or, like, they're found just, like, pretty much exclusively in, like, academic centers, which are pretty inaccessible for people who just want to pick up something that they can relate to. Yeah, and that's true, and, like, even my, myself, I, I dropped out of university. University was horrific the first time I tried to go. I'm back in now, like, mm-hmm. 15 years later, but it was a terrible experience, and like university libraries and university classes are the only places that you could actually access this knowledge mm-hmm. and so uh, and access these voices um which is a shame and yeah. so it w- it's actually very important for us to have the library in a space that's not academic not saying that we won't carry academic voices mm-hmm. but um we want those voices to be available outside of an institution that largely prohibits people of color and marginalized people in general from Mm -hmm. accessing it easily and that's going to be located at carla's wellness center am i correct revolution wellness yeah Ah, lovely also from my experience as just a queer person my first introduction to sort of like literature about queer experiences was in an academic setting where it was like put up as something to analyze which i mean is 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 cool i guess if you're in a cool space but um Sometimes you just want to pick up a book mm-hmm. and you just, you, you don't want to see the same thing play out over and over again that you've read a million times. It's true. And you want to like also see other pieces from that community that maybe like, I mean, in my experience, I had to assimilate, mm-hmm. I had to assimilate in a way that made me lose the ability to actually connect with my culture. And so I think that having narratives that also like have people that are welcomed by their culture or also like you know or even people that are like creating their own communities mm-hmm. are necessary how can people support it this is fully turning into like a, a plug <laughs> a plug center i mean um people can uh send monetary donations people can donate books people can connect with us for donating their time to help with gathering and building curating (laughs) so i want to shift back to sort of your drag career i kind of want to clarify something because when i saw this i was surprised you've been doing drag for a very long time am i correct yes and no i mean i stopped doing drag for a very long time as well interesting so you were you were a part of gender play cabaret in its first iteration Mm -hmm. when did you what when did you kind of start getting involved so there used to be these boat cruises around Pride in the early 2000s. And I happened to be on one and Carlos Las Vegas was there. Mm-hmm. And just came up to me and said, hey, 
you want to do drag? <laughs> Just first straight, thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we kind of chit chatted, but then was like, "Have you ever thought about this?" And so I was like, "Kind of." And that was kind of at a at a point in my life where. I had just kind of come out to a, a large group of friends, and I just kind of was still searching for some sort of fit. Mm-hmm. And um, Carlos had basically come up to me and offered this this platform, and I kind of I just said yes. It wasn't really even a hesitation. Mm-hmm. And then from there, there was uh, a at that time there was a drag king conference. That oh. happened. Uh, it was like an, the international drag king extravaganza. Sweet. Where's that? Um, well, it started in Columbus, Ohio, and then it had, I think, on its third year, started traveling. Mm-hmm. And so, Carlos planning on going to um, Minneapolis, and so we got a group of us together and, and went down to Minneapolis and, and did this. We did some fundraising shows and. He had an amateur show, so Carlos put on this amateur show, mm-hmm. which was just a bunch of people just starting out and a couple of vets, but it was a, it was a pretty neat time. I had a very different name back then. <laughs> I had a very different persona. Is it a secret? Um, well, I mean, it didn't fit me, if you know me in any capacity. It was my original name, uh, because I couldn't think of a name, but... But Carlos was like, go big then, you know, figure figure out what kind of character you want to be. And mm-hmm. I was Lorenzo Lapdance. Lorenzo <laughs> Lapdance. <gasps> um, I, that's glamorous. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so, that's so much. Yeah, and I, the first song I ever did was Bobby Darren, Mac the Knife. Sweet. Yeah, but there was something that happened when I performed, and I actually jumped on the speaker. Like, it was at Miss Purdy's. Sweet. And so there used to, like, it was a very narrow bar, and then there was, like, a a stage area. And there was a speaker on the stage, and something, like, just popped into me with this confidence that <laughs> I didn't have as me. But this persona had it. That song's a build-up song. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You get into it. Exactly. So what was the persona of Lorenzo Lapdance as opposed to as opposed to the current iteration of Hari Vijayjay? Oh, I think less uncle. <laughs> ah, he was an uncle? No, no, less uncle, less uncle. Oh, yes. Lorenzo was less uncle yeah. than Gunther. Lorenzo was like chachi, kind of like flirtatious. Okay. Yeah, the name the name kind of gives you kind of I think all you need to know. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so, uh what was what was gender play cabaret like in its first iteration? I mean it was it was a long time ago. It was it was community it was a community that didn't fit quite into the mold of drag in in the like court sense or in the like it was it was different mm-hmm. um there was a lot of room for, for kings in the gender play cabaret right um there was a couple of queens in there and uh it was it was a space that was created and there was a couple of burlesque performers in there and but it was the first place i had you know been around drag kings and people that didn't necessarily see themselves in a tradi- I don't want to say traditional but like in, in like the, a gender yeah, yeah it was pretty different from what I knew I know Carlos no longer performs are there any performers from that original gender play kind of lineup that are still that are still kicking and around or are you the lone the lone the lone ranger well actually um 
Brianna Burlesque actually performed with us a few times. Sweet, Brie. W- was in a couple of uh, a couple of the shows. A few of the folks, Curvy Lanes, oh. um, was was there. Also goes by Rampage. Um, <laughs> there's a few people that I don't know if they w- want to be performing again, but mm-hmm. I kind of throw it out there for people to to come to come through. But the majority of the folks that were in and around that time aren't really uh, performing as much. That's so interesting. There's this whole history to, to gender play that, that I never really knew. I mean, Carlos is the reason that I started drag. Mm-hmm. And Carlos quite possibly could have saved my life because drag was like a healing tool that I didn't know I needed. Really? And so I think that I don't know if it was just this ability to see this person struggling or if this, like, even just my own, like, journey with gender and, uh, like, my own, like, forms of misandry and, like, you know, things that, like, things that have damaged me through gender and, like, through, like, dutiful obligation in my own culture and and things like that, I was able to address through drag, right? and. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have that person come to me and say, hey, there's this thing. Do you want to try it? I I don't know where I would be now in terms of, like, my confidence or being able to travel and being able to, like, see those different shows and the c- different capacities in which drag can be, like, utilized. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would be the same person that I am now. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Carlos's influence. Oh, Carlos is, yeah, 100%. Wow. So, so when that ended, it was kind of, okay, that's that. Um, the only other options at that time were the court system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't somebody who wanted to be in the, in the monarchy. Mm-hmm. So Lorenzo was put to bed. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, not before a name change. Oh. So and you... a show in Chicago. Oh, was that when Hari was born? uh, No, that's when... So we changed from Lorenzo Lapdance. I wanted to be more cultural. Uh And we actually um, went to Chicago for one of the IDKs, like the International Drag King. Oh, yeah. And we did a Bollywood number. Uh And so I changed my name to something more grand, which was VJJ Bollywood. Oh, good. And so I performed with with that uh, name. And then VJJ Bollywood is the one that that went to bed there. So that hiatus was kind of sparked by not having gender play anymore as kind of like an outlet. Yeah. So gender play turned into Fantasia Affair. Mm-hmm. And then Fantasia Affair uh, just kind of life gotten, you know, life gotten in the way of, uh, of performance and as you know, it's not easy to sustain and support oneself on just drag. And so Absolutely. we kind of just, most people just kind of went their own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, there was very few options for shows outside of certain systems. And let's make some noise for your first performers. I'm sorry, I'm just a half breed, so I'm gonna really emphasize this. But your first performers are I Can Make Mukam Come and Hari Vajayjay.
So how did you know when was the right time to come back? Here and there I heard of a few queens and a few court shows and then this group called the Sunshine Bunch started popping mm. up in places. This this group that wasn't really affiliated with any sort of any sort of club or previous institution. Yeah, exactly. And so I figured I'd go see a couple shows here, a couple shows there and then befriended Prairie who uh, I was talking to one day and said like I think I'm thinking of like bringing back the gender play and was greatly encouraged uh, I think Vita was there for that conversation as well also like and then uh, I asked Carlos for permission to mm. use the name and to like kind of talk to because I had never produced a show I just kind of was a doer like mm -hmm. you know tell me the things you need done I'll get them done and so Prairie was really instrumental in like pushing me and and um, encouraging me to go forth with that idea mm -hmm. and then after I talked to to Carlos about it it was very clear that it was something that needed to be done with a few changes from the original so what was that conversation like with Carlos to say like I'm bringing the I'm getting the band back together <laughs> <laughs> well actually the conversation started of me just saying we need this other space um, we need this other space that allows for like non-binary and people of color and like people who aren't really as visible in other institutions and, and spaces. And so that conversation was, was really good. It was really encouraging. Carlos had like the belief that I could organize and produce a show that was kind of staying true to the gender play cabaret. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was struggling for a name. And gender play just fits. It fits. You've been to the shows. Like, yeah. it, it, it kind of fits. So it just, I wish I had more eloquent words about that conversation, but yeah. it's just kind of, it was, you know, when you talk to somebody and it's just the right time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like you talk to them, they're encouraging, and you just kind of read it with mm -hmm. each other. And yes, this is the thing you have to do. And that's, how the conversation went with Prairie and that's how the conversation went with Carlos and so that's how the conversation went with other people that I spoke to about it and that's just it just was something that the ball was already rolling mm -hmm. was it scary to produce it without without Carlos there without was it was it scary to be spearheading that it's always scary to spearhead something I think yeah. that when you bring something like that back it already has a reputation to live up to mm-hmm and then, you know, I mean, I, I care about how my community sees me. And so I also didn't <laughs> want to let the community down. You know, it's, it's, a, it's daunting to, to bring something back and be like, okay, this is a thing that was once big. Let's yeah. see. Let's see if it can be again. But the community really shows up for it. Like this city is pretty special in that way. I mean, I knew Gender Play Cabaret was like a, was a, was a reinstallment. But it seems so revolutionary even now in how open it is a space to all kinds of art and to all kinds of people. Um, sort of just like drag unleashed wherever people feel they need for it to go for themselves. And it's so surprising to me that that existed because it's, it's such a revolutionary kind of concept, I guess. But at the same time, not really at all. Yeah. Because it's just drag without rules. Yeah, I mean, one of the first 
things that I have conversations when people come to me and they, they want to like do drag one of the first conversations I have with people is like what do you want to convey mm. what is it that you want people to see of you what is, are you doing this for you are you doing this for people are you doing this to entertain mm -hmm. like I think you have to ask yourself those questions and I think most people who are involved in the gender play shows do ask themselves those questions they also recognize it's a safe space to do maybe those numbers that are political or leaning in a way that aren't you know going to be received the same way at other shows and that's important to have because I know that for me drag again like was it was healing for me mm -hmm. it was a it was a way to to just take those those things and take control over them and actually be able to convey ideas that I couldn't actually talk about but I could perform mm -hmm. and I think that it allows for those spaces to be met I I do tell people that if they are going to convey something that's political or something like they have to be prepared for people to ask questions mm -hmm. and you know just knowing asking yourself why you're doing something before you do it allows you to answer those questions in a, in a very true form mm -hmm. so rather than just using it as shock value yeah yeah and so i think that like gender play offers that space for people as well right or even if people want to you know are usually entertainer kind of fun campy numbers they can do a serious number if they if they do want to do it and it allows for that space so you i feel like Hari's really picking up steam. <laughs> Hari's going places. You've been doing stuff. You've been performing. You've been performing a lot at, at some at some really awesome stuff like Harvest Moon and, and and drag brunch and stuff like that. And you're such like a key figure now to to the modern drag scene. Did you did you miss drag over that ten year period where you weren't performing? I think yes. I mean, there were other things that occupied my time, but there was always like an element of like oh those days you know mm -hmm. those good days are you know i'd find a suit jacket every once in a while and be like oh yeah <laughs> um i think that that you do miss it when it is such a big component of your life for that long mm -hmm. and then it's just not i think i think a part of uh hari picking up steam is because of the community that Renu's involved in right like like sunshine bunch I show up to things and I've talked about this with other people that like if you show up to things then then you're going to be invited to things mm -hmm. and I don't mean just like show up to be invited but like actually like be there supporting and and contributing and helping you know it's just I think that those opportunities exist in all the spaces they just the people who are creating those those shows and who are uh, invited to those shows want to see other people that are showing up. When when did you start drag? So you it, it, you you took your hiatus around twenty two thousand seven, I guess. Because so two thousand and one ish. Two thousand and one. That was a whole six year period. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Yes. Wow, you were a drag adult. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. It wasn't a lot. It was a few shows a year. Mm -hmm. Four or five. I mean, I stopped. I also traveled a lot in that time. Mm. I went to places where I couldn't be in drag. Mm -hmm. And I went, kind of found a lot of my own self in, the, in that hiatus time. Mm. But before that, yeah, there was, 
Well, I mean, I went through two name changes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Full on identity swap. Oh, yes. Where I am now is completely different. And that happens to people, right? Like, mm-hmm. I give the same advice to people who are looking for jobs. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. you have so much, you have so much time to create and embody who you want to be mm-hmm. in terms of performance and in terms of this persona. And so I think that, like, when you know, you know, like, Hari is, Hari is the one, mm-hmm. but I also thought Lorenzo Lapdance was the one, right? <laughs> so, like, things change, you shift as a person, and I think that that movement is, is also a part of your growth, like, as, as yourself. So you said Hari's a little bit uncle. Yes. I get that a lot, <laughs> yeah. and I love it a lot. How do you see kind of the persona of, of Hari? I mean... Hari's kind of an extension of Renu. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Hari does more outlandish things than Renu does. Mm-hmm. But uh, all in all, there's that, you know, that nurturer, that, like, community care. I don't see myself as a dad or a daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I see myself as somebody who who wants to, like, you know, support and, like, you know, Hari is where Hari is needed. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of being supportive and being... Uh, present and there for people to even just kind of talk things out and to to just watch and cheer to offer candy <laughs> you know <laughs> just just kind of things that you know people I think sometimes don't necessarily know they need and I think also one of the reasons why I think of Hari as such like a such a such a like key figure to the modern drag scene is I I just think that like the message that I see Hari portraying in numbers is so in line with kind of where the drag, with where the drag scene is now compared to where I've heard it was once. How do you see the drag scene has changed before you took your hiatus versus now? I need to pick my words carefully with this. I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that it's, that it, that, that it's easy because it's not easy at all. Uh, there's still a lot of work that you need but I think there's more opportunities now. Mm-hmm. And I think that even up until I saw the Sunshine Bunch five years ago or, or so, um, I think that like they were the last kind of pillar of it like really being hard. Like mm-hmm. you have to like find this space and just like carve it right out. And people are still having to carve their space out. People are still excluded from things and people are still having to really work for things. But I think that there's more opportunity, like the, the slunts are doing like fantastic things with allowing people to, you know, try their their hand at, at uh, various performances. And mm-hmm. I think that there's the gender play and then there's, you know, having mixed square and having Club 200 and like having these different outlets and different like spaces mm-hmm. for people to actually have space available to them which still may be limited but is far more than Mm -hmm. there was i think that's a big difference between back then and now there was nothing else outside of the court system when reese was like hey you know there was the bar titles which were still tied heavily to the court system Mm -hmm. and i mean i personally identified with the with the whole premise of gender play um, when I 
started. And so I think that offering that space now even was beneficial. You said that the court scene was kind of the only alternative. Why did you feel less inclined to sort of participate in that specific segment of our community? Okay, so language has changed. Things have changed. There's been a, you know, like even the language I have to identify as non-binary now didn't exist, Mm -hmm. you know, in the early 2000s. That wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. Although I've always felt gender fluid, like identifying as gender fluid wasn't a thing for me that long ago. Mm -hmm. For me personally, I I mean, I know people who who did identify as such, but I didn't have the words for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there was, I had a couple of bad encounters in terms of just kind of how as a drag king I was made to be subservient in some ways mm-hmm. and also being like oh she he and you know and, and having people do that yeah. was was hurtful but also I just I don't have the desire in me to mimic a, a monarchy I really have seen the court be something really healing for people and I like people had that outlet and people were able to to perform and and actually thrive in the court scene and it just I didn't feel like it was a place I could thrive Mm -hmm. and so I just didn't uh, I didn't follow through with that it's also expensive and so I mean I don't have any ill ill will in terms of like the people like I know some beautiful people that who started in the court system but also some of those same beautiful people I've had really real conversations with you know I don't necessarily want to see a white cis male wearing Indian clothing imitating a monarchy mm-hmm. uh, that is that colonized that very country. Uh, it's not something that I feel warmth towards. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and just kind of like, as I learned more about colonization and, and assimilation and the ways that I assimilated, I just, it didn't, it didn't speak to me. The imperial motif yeah. is a little ironic. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I know I that understand. it's a controversial topic. Like, I don't actually want to. I, I don't say anything in terms of, like, wanting to hurt anybody that is, like, actually in the court system. And I think that there's, there's so many ways that we can critique a system like that while still appreciating some of the benefits that it that it has contributed. Oh yes, and they do great mm. stuff for community and they do like they do all of these amazing things. It's just that some of the people that I encountered and some of the ways I was treated didn't make me feel community mm-hmm. in the same way that other people feel. Do you still sense a sort of as someone who's been who's been doing this for oh my gosh, nearly two whole decades minus a <laughs> hiatus? Do you still sense there's that similar sort of rift in the community, or do you think a lot of that's healed by now? I think it depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. I think that you're going to have two people. You're going to want to... These are the two type of people I see in, in our queer community in general. You the, There's the people who are in competition with each other, and there's the people who are lifting each other. And I think that you can tell very clearly who the people are that are listening to their communities and the people who are actually willing to question their intentions and their motives versus the people who aren't. 
I think that as a culture, I think there's more people willing to call things out. I think that more people are getting into the to that system and and saying, hey, why do we treat people like that? Or why do we say that to other people? And then I think some people don't even know they do it. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes you get caught up in, in something and, and don't actually recognize how you affect people. Um, so I think that the more people that recognize that and I don't know, I just, I think that there's a good blend of people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that there wasn't a good blend back then, but there wasn't a lot of space for it. What's your most memorable experience in drag? Whether it was in Lorenzo era or Hari era? Uh, the first time I ever learned about politics and drag was IDKE. And I think being able to do a Bollywood number in front of almost a thousand people in Chicago was probably the most memorable experience. Mm-hmm. Being able to actually do that and then talk to people about it afterwards. Uh, talk to people about how I felt about appropriation and things. And because I had such a bad experience in school, I didn't actually know those words. I didn't know those contexts and those um, those things. And so um, when I went to Chicago, I sat and listened to people on panels talk about why it was damaging to do things and why it was it was so enlightening to to be like, hey, you can perform you can perform these songs, just don't be what you're not and just kind of respect that people are hurt by things and people are, you know, affected by your actions. I think that that experience really shifted a lot of my thinking and just in my life even. And then bringing gender play back was, was the next, was the next one, just kind of seeing people and feeling that energy uh, with other people that those highs and lows was was the next kind of major thing. How did you get this iconic name? <laughs> so so my name is Renu mm-hmm. and people always mispronounce it. I'll even say my name is Renu. People say, hey, Renu. And, uh, and so Hari. So I had the v- VJJ from before. I actually got that from Oprah. From Oprah? <laughs> yeah, because she said VJJ one time. Ah! And I was like, VJ is one of my favorite Indian names. And I was uh-huh. like, oh my God, VJJ. That's iconic. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> so that, what the VJJ Bollywood was from actually like me watching a segment of Oprah in the early 2000s. So <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, and then actually, I think it's commentary on anglicization, actually. Mm-hmm. So I knew that people would read Hari as Harry, mm-hmm. and they'd read Vijay as Vijay. So they would read it as Harry Vijay, <laughs> when the actual pronunciation is, is Hari Vijay, which completely changes it when you say Hari versus Harry. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of was my own like like I laugh at it every time. Every time someone mispronounces it, I laugh because I'm like, oh, I'll see. Like nobody asks how to pronounce a name they just assume that they know how to say it mm-hmm. or they're so caught up in themselves that they they don't want to be embarrassed by asking something which is silly mm-hmm. and uh, it just it was a commentary on that that's really <laughs> so, clever it was I, I i feel like it was it was like i don't i like to snicker at it mm-hmm. and so 
you'll hear people who pronounce it wrong on purpose so that I can be like, hey, <laughs> I'm fond of puns. And I mean, I'm fond of like the simplest of things, you know, <laughs> people will hear what they want to hear and say what they want to say. It's a clever twist. Yeah. So Amazing. That's, that's the meme. <laughs> Hari, thank you so much for joining me. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much to Hari for sitting down with me. Our next guest is the only one from season one who turned me down. Not for any dramatic reason, she was just really, really busy. She's the oldest performing drag queen in our city, and after watching her number at our launch party, we're all lucky she's stuck around. She gives us a lot of amazing insight into our city's drag dynamic decades ago, and I had such a great time chatting with her. Here's a clip from her episode. But back in those days, if you didn't get in line at the door at 7.30, 8 o'clock, you waited. The, the lines, they were lined up outside the door. Really? Yeah. All yeah. places? Yeah. Yeah. Happenings, um, if you were a queen and you were, Happenings actually was a membership bar. That was another thing that was very different back then. You couldn't just walk into a bar. You had to have somebody sign you in that knew you because it was a lot riskier then. I mean, there was still a lot of queer bashing going on and, uh. You had to be aware of your surroundings, and thankfully we had establishments like that that took it on themselves to make sure that they were safe spaces for people to go and actually relax. You felt like you could totally be yourself. Mm -hmm. There was no judgment, you know, it was a truly safe space, and they still are. Thank you so much to Claire Boning of Veneer for the lovely intro and outro music, and until next episode, remember to always tip your local drag performers. I'm in the mood to get controversial. Oh, Are okay. you? <laughs>